All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. It's great to see so many friends and family members here today. Hope you got a chance to enjoy some hot cocoa from the hot cocoa bar. We appreciate the people who put that together. Great to see so many people with name tags, greeting one another, talking cereal. Like what better place to be on a Sunday morning than right here? We are starting a new series today for a new year and it's called New Year Less Me. And I know what you're thinking if you're kind of new to our family you're saying, Father Anthony, you kind of missed the whole New Year's thing. Okay, like that's kind of long gone by now. Like what kind of church starts a series about a new year the last Sunday of January? Like people have been talking about that for weeks, but by now that's pretty much old news, right? Now our resolutions, the whole New Year thing, that's kind of long gone. Well, I believe that's actually the perfect time to start a series on the New Year because now that the initial excitement and motivation of I'm going to lose the weight or I'm going to exercise or I'm going to whatever whatever resolutions that it was that we made, now that that's kind of died down, now I believe is the time to focus on what we want in this coming year. And now's the time to make some serious decisions about the direction of our life. Now that all the initial hype has kind of come and gone and we can take a hard look at where are we at and where we want to go in this coming year. Those who know me know I love setting goals. I love New Year, like plans, not so much resolutions, but I call, I love to talk about goals. I love to live by intentionality. I like to live on purpose because I believe, you heard me say this before, that everyone ends up somewhere, but not everyone ends up somewhere on purpose. But everyone is going to end up somewhere, so I'd rather kind of take charge of where that's going to be. So you know what? You're going to get to the end of, hopefully God willing, you're going to get to the end of this year, but just a matter of where it is that you're going to be. You're going to be somewhere so I'd rather be more intentional and be proactive and say, this is where I'd like to go. You're going to, your relationship, your marriage, your dating, your fiance, whatever it may be, you're going to be somewhere 12 months from now. It's just a matter of whether or not you are intentional about where that is, but you're going to be somewhere. So you might as well be intentional about where your children are, where you are in your personal, spiritual life, your career, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that we did as a family this year, we did something new. Okay, we, we usually, like I said, I like to set goals, I like to encourage the kids are at the age now where they can set goals. We do this thing as like a family. We kind of set aside time, set our goals where we want to go in the new year. But this year, we want to spice it up a little bit. So this year, we started off by, took, we took some time to identify who, what is our win as far as our identity. So we went through and said, okay, me, I have lots of different hats that I wear, lots of different roles. What is my win in each of these roles? Like, for example, I'll share one of my roles is as a father. What would be a win for me as a dad? Okay, so one of the things I came up with is I want to be an approachable father. Okay, my kids are entering the teenage years. I want to make sure that they feel like they can come talk to me about anything and I won't go fly off the handle, at least not in front of them, okay, when they come to me. So I want to be an approachable dad. If I get to the end of this year and I consider myself approachable, that's a win. What do I want to be as a husband? Okay, I want to be an emotionally invested husband. So my wife feels like she has a place that she can talk about emotions and all that other stuff, okay? That, no, no, no. So we went through this, okay? <laughs> we went through this exercise. And I said, where do I want to be as like, you know, as a boss, okay? Because, you know, I, I'm a boss. So I said, I want to be a great boss. You know, like I want, I want the people who, who consider me a boss to say, that's the best. So this is like our identity. And then what we did, that was step one. We went in the next step and said, what's one habit, what's one habit that we can do to get a step closer. Remember we did that habit series at the end of last year? So I'm trying to apply this. So for example, if I wanna be an approachable dad, what's one thing I can do? 
not a million things, what's one thing? And then we all kind of did this together. Like, you know, my son, he wants a certain academic, what's one thing you can do to get there? My daughter wants something with athletic, what's one thing you can do to get there? Wife, whatever it is, what's one thing you can do? And we identified these habits. Now here's the real secret sauce of, of the mess of family. What we did is we created a habit tracker, okay? Because if you don't track it, it's not real, in my opinion, okay? Created a habit tracker and we posted it up on the fridge. So each person in the family, there's their name and there's the two habits that they said will make them a better person in this coming year. Uh, and then every day you get an X if you did it and it's blank if you didn't do it, okay? So we can hold each other accountable and like encourage one another. Okay, so we can see, you know, each person, did they do it this day or not? So there's a sense of accountability. Now, some of you are like, oh, what a nice family. What? Just, just so we're clear, okay? In most families, this would be a nice, encouraging, friendly kind of situation. Not in a mess of household, okay? We play for blood when we do things in our household. So what started off as a way to encourage each other became a way to sabotage one another, okay? And that's kind of where we're at right now. Like I'll kind of say, like my wife, one of her goals was that she would you know, every day during lunchtime, do like a Bible study. That was kind of her goal. And then me and my daughter, okay, kind of looked at it, and she was kind of ahead of the rest of us on the check mark. So I, all of a sudden, I decided to just give my wife a call around lunchtime, tell her I love her, okay, express whatever emotions I can think of in the moment, and oh, there goes the lunch break. Another one of her goals, I told you, we play for blood. Another one of her goals was to get up early in the morning and pray early in the morning, like when, when everyone is asleep. And then somehow, I don't really know how it happened, but somehow the heat started to kick on a little bit later than it used to be. Okay, I don't really know why that is. It's a little bit chillier in the morning hours. Not really sure how that happened, but somehow, you know, which is a lot less motivating to get out of bed. I don't really know how that happened. I mean, you can't ask me. Point is, you come to a mess of house, so you're playing ping pong, you're playing Monopoly, you're setting goals. We play for blood, okay, where we're from here. We don't do it nice and friendly. Because the point is to me, okay, all joking aside, I believe in goals. I believe in being intentional. Let me tell you what I don't believe in. I don't believe in resolutions. I don't believe in this is the year that I'm gonna start and then you write whatever it is that you wrote last year, but you didn't make it last year. Like I saw this funny picture online, which I think is a great way of approaching New Year's resolutions. Like, like if we're honest, this is, how, this is how our resolutions are, right? Like this is what it is. You can just cross off the year, put another year, and then just just kind of adapt it, okay? Yeah, yeah, number five is a funny one. Four and five are really funny, yeah. Okay, take it for, this isn't mine, this isn't mine. But I'm saying, you could look at this and this is just like copy and paste, right? Like this is the way, the way it always is. It's I'm gonna start this or I'm gonna stop this and then it's the same thing year after year and I'm gonna start exercising and then it's cold. And then I'm gonna, uh, you know, get uh, reading my Bible and then all of a sudden there's a new episode of, of, you know, The Bachelor that came out, and I gotta watch who Pete picked or whatever it may be. Or, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that promotion this year. Or I'm gonna finish that project. Or I'm gonna, I'm dreaming big. I'm gonna sell the dog this year. Like, whatever it may be that you're dreaming of, okay? Whatever it is that would be a win in your eyes. I think there's an inherent problem with the way we set resolutions. I think there's an inherent problem with the way we approach goal setting and I think that problem, because we don't realize that problem, you can do this every year for the rest of your life and get nowhere until you recognize the problem. And I think the problem is this, very simply. The problem with our resolutions, the reason they don't work, because they're self-centered. The majority of our resolutions 
if we're honest, they're selfish. Now, again, I'm all about goals. I'm all about improve yourself. I'm all about take steps to make yourself better, make your family. I'm all about that. But there's something wrong when the center of life is me. And when God, like God wasn't created to serve me. You know that, right? That's like 101. God wasn't created to serve me. I was created to serve him. But if you look at our resolutions or goals or whatever it is you call it, one could look at them and think that God is the servant and we are the master. That we're the ones who reign and we have our objectives and our purposes and God becomes a tool, forgive the expression, to accomplish my means. Even just look at our prayers. Bless me, give me, protect me, heal me. God becomes, all of a sudden, he's no more king of kings and lord of lords. He's no more almighty. He's just some kind of heavenly concierge service upon your beck and call to give you whatever it is that you self-centeredly think is what you need in this coming year. And I say this, life doesn't work when I'm at the center. Life doesn't work when I'm at the center. Life only works when he's at the center. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 says, he, being Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. And by saying he means not you. By him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. One of the oldest sciences, studies of mankind is astronomy. Any astronomers here? Anyone here study astronomy? Okay. Anyone here like the stars? Okay, good. Astronomy is the study of the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the skies, the heavens above. But you know, as much as this has always been something that's piqued the interest of humanity, to look above and to wonder and to gaze and to hypothesize. But for centuries, astronomy was less science and more mythology. It was less a science that was something verifiable and provable and predictable and it was more just like a mythology about the gods and about how the gods, because everything was kind of haphazard and everything was kind of like the whims of the gods. And everyone, every time they tried to hypothesize, this is how the universe works. Their calculations wouldn't add up. It didn't make sense. So basically they came to the conclusion that that's where the gods lived and the gods had their own way of doing things and we were just under the, under the, the whims of the god, the gods. And then a guy named Copernicus came around in the 16th century. And you know what Copernicus said. Copernicus was the first guy, really the first guy to make it popular. Other people had said it. But he came up with this idea that was not popular at the time. And that was this, that the earth is not the center of the universe. And he came up with, okay, as you see up there on the screen, a heliocentric versus a geocentric model of the solar system. Before him, they thought the earth was the center and everything revolved around us and you can understand why. Because you look up at the stars, okay? And here you are, you're not moving and the stars move, the sun moves, every, the moon is moving, everything is moving. So they had this idea that everything moved around them. And as much as they thought everything moved around them, nothing made sense. They would hypothesize, oh, this is gonna happen, but it didn't happen. The calculations didn't add up and then Copernicus came around and said, actually, you know what? Maybe we're not the center. Maybe we're just a small piece of a much bigger whole. And he came up with this idea that the sun is the center. And then you know what happened when the sun was the center? Then all of a sudden, the calculations made sense. Then all of a sudden, you could theorize and predict. 
And you could, you could make sense of this chaos in the, in the cosmos as we kick off this new series. I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna ask you some hard questions today. I'm gonna challenge you that if you're, the center of your life is off, your life is never gonna work. And I'm gonna challenge you to ask yourself some hard questions. Is your life self-centered or God-centered? You don't need an answer to me. You don't need to, you don't need to make up an answer just to just make yourself feel. We need to be honest. Because if the center of your existence is you, I'm telling you, it will not work. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna make sense. Nothing's gonna make sense as long as you think that you are the sun and then God is simply revolving around you. Do you, I'm sorry, does God serve your purpose? Or do you serve his? And then it said at the bottom there, who's the sun and who's the earth? Let's be honest. Who revolves around who? I'm telling you, this issue is central to your ability to be successful in this coming year and for the rest of your life. Because as long as you think you're the center and everything revolves around you, I'm telling you, life simply isn't going to make sense. For example, let me show you how you ask yourself these questions. You have career ambitions. That's good. You want to advance? Like, that's great. I'm all for that. You want to get promoted? Like, that's great. You want to start a business? I'm all for it. Good for you. But what I'm asking you, and you don't have to answer anybody except me, or except you. Not me. I can't say to you, but you, you, you say to me. You gotta answer yourself. What's your motivation? Why do you want that career advancement? Is it truly for the glory of God and to advance his purpose? Or is it, is it to stick it to Tom in accounting? Is it to your show, show your brother, okay, at next Thanksgiving that you are better than him? Or is it just something as materialistic as I want new toys and new gadgets and I wanna, I wanna justify my, my, my bad spending habits, my selfish spending habits? You ask yourself. What's the real reason? Ask yourself. What's the real reason that you won't say sorry? What's the real reason you won't apologize? Be honest. Is it for the glory and honor of God or the glory and honor of me? Prayers. Ask yourself, what percentage of your prayers are me-focused? Bless me. Heal me. Protect me. What percentage are focused on me versus God? How can I be a blessing to you? How can I be a blessing to this world? How can I glorify you versus how you can glorify me? Be honest. When Jesus taught us to pray, taught his disciples to pray, he gave them the model prayer of the Lord's prayer, the Our Father prayer. And if you look at that prayer, you tell me, is this a me-centric or a God-centric prayer? The prayer begins very simply. Our Father who art in heaven. Is that focused on me or focused on God? Our Father, you're the sun, I'm the earth. I'm revolving around you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy name, your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Just as in on earth that is in heaven. By the time we get to give us this day our daily bread, the mindset has been adjusted. I only want my daily bread, not because I want my daily bread. I only wanted to bring your kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. It's not about my, the prayer doesn't start, Father in heaven, give me my daily bread. I need my daily bread. Bread, 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 bread. No, 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 no. Hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And if, you know what? In order to accomplish thy will, I need my daily bread. And I only need it to accomplish thy will, but I don't really care about me. It's all about you. So forgive me my sins, anything I've done against you or anyone else in the family of God, and help me to be an extension of your forgiveness to everyone else on this planet. Keep me away from all that evil stuff. Lead me away from the stuff that's gonna pull me away from you and make me self-centered. Because thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Amen. Does that sound like your prayers? What percentage of your life is revolving around you with God as your servant versus you as his? Our theme verse for this series is gonna be Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And compare this again to your New Year's resolutions. Compare this to your list of goals for the coming year and see, see the similarities. Jesus said, Mark 10, 45, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. Does that sound like your New Year's goals? If not, now's the time to revise them. In case you're wondering where this idea of self-centered, why humanity is so self-centered by its nature, why by our nature we always look at ourselves and pull towards ourselves, well, you gotta go all the way back to the very beginning. You wanna find out the root of any problem on this planet, you go back to the beginning, you go back to the Garden of Eden, you go to Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind. And what you'll see in that story, okay, of fall of mankind, I'm gonna say some stuff right now that I didn't really wanna speak about. And the reason I don't wanna speak about it I'm going to say some stuff and it's going to make me sound smart. You know, one of my goals in life is to never sound smart. One of my goals in life, I don't like to hurt my image by saying smart things, okay? It might ruin my reputation. So I'll say some stuff that may sound philosophical and theoretical and you would say, oh, Father Anthony, very smart. But after I explain it, you're going to say, he really not that smart. This is something that anybody can get. What happened in the Garden of Eden at the fall of mankind was man lost his identity as a person and began to see himself as an individual. Ooh, ah, philosophy. Look at me, I'm smart. Give me a minute and I'll prove to you I'm not that smart. Man lost his identity as a person, began to see himself as an individual. The word person comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is prosopon. Say it after me. Say prosopon. Prosopon is a word that means a translated person, but if you go deeper into its meaning, it means looking towards or facing. In other words, the implication of the word is something outwardly oriented or better, upwardly oriented, looking to something else. The example that I can think of would be like the moon. The moon is only has an identity when it is facing the sun. If the moon is over here and the sun is there, this part of the moon has an identity. That part has no identity because it is not facing the sun. Now, when the moon moves, okay, in front of the sun, it has, has an identity, has a meaning, has a purpose. Without the sun, it is nothing. That's kind of what prosopon or person means. It means something that is outwardly oriented or facing something else. This makes sense. We as human beings, we are created in the image of God. Without the image of God, we are nothing. We were only created not to reflect any goodness of ourselves, but only reflect the goodness that shines upon us from our creator in heaven. Our identity is as a person connected to God. And then sin happened. And when sin happened, there was a separation between God and man. And man immediately began hiding from God. Genesis 3.10, after man had sinned, says, I heard your voice in the garden, this is Adam speaking. 
And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What word is repeated four times in that one verse? I. That's individual. What happened, the word individual, okay, comes from the Latin. Again, this one's very easy. Two words, in, and then, but in is just a prefix. Dividuous. In, let's start, dividuous means divided, okay? In means what? If you add in to any word in front of it, or add word into any word, it just means the opposite of. So something is complete, but if I put in, incomplete means not complete, right? So if something is, is um, um, individuous, means individed, means not divided. So what that means, individual, means a person who is not connected to anyone. He is whole. He is self-sufficient. He take care of his life on his own. And that's what you see with Adam right here. I, I, I heard your voice. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. The difference between the two words, person and individual, the word person has an upward orientation, an outward orientation, a looking up to God. My identity is what I reflect in God. The word individual means inward orientation. I look at myself, I'm complete in and of myself, and my identity is me, myself, and I, and what I can accomplish. We were not created to be individuals. We were created to be persons. And every problem on the planet, every problem comes from this. You find me any problem in society. You find me any problem in your home. You find me any problem in your spiritual life. And I will tell you, the root of it comes back to an inward, self-focused orientation. Why did Cain kill his brother Abel? Because it was individual. It was self-centered. It was, it was self-focused. It was, how dare he disrespect me and make me look bad? I'm gonna kill him. Why did Jacob lie and deceive so many people, including his own father? Because it was all about, this is what I want. This is my plan. And I can't trust God to provide for it. I got to get what's mine on my own. Jonah, funniest story in the entire Bible, thought he could run away from God on a boat. Thought he could outrun God on a boat. Jonah, what happened to you? It became all about me. And it became all about I'm gonna be okay by myself. I don't need him. I'm gonna go away from him, I'm gonna run away from him. I'm gonna be okay. Jonah, you're nothing without him. You're not an individual. You're not self-sufficient. You're not complete on your own. Your only value, your only identity is in a reflection of the goodness of God. And it's not just people in the Bible, right? Why is it I'm so easily offended when someone criticizes me? Why is it? Why is it, again, Tom from accounting says one word, and I'm boiling for weeks. Why is I'm so easily offended? Because disrespect me. And how dare you speak about me and me and me and me? And who's me? Who's me? Who's me? The son? Why is it our kids drive us bonkers when they disobey us? Our kids do silly little things and we fly off the handle as if they, as if they robbed a bank. Why? Because it's about me and respect me and obey me. Or maybe me's feeling bad about the way I was treated at work. So me's taking it out on them. It's about me. Why is it we lie so easily at the drop of a hat for no purpose whatsoever? I can't tell you the number of people who have told me in confession, I say lies and I don't know why I say them. I just say them. And I'll tell you the answer because I do the same thing. It's because of me. It's a self-centered nature that is inside each one of us. 
James 3.16 says it this way, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You name a problem in this world, you name an evil in your life or in the universe, and I will point to the fact that self-seeking is probably at the root of it. We learned this, okay? I went to, many years ago, many, many years ago, a whole century ago, the last century, I graduated from college. I went to University of Virginia. Anyone here went to University of Virginia? Any graduates from University of Virginia? Okay, a few, okay, one of there. Anyone, one of the most famous professors at University of Virginia was a, a economics professor named uh, Dr. Kenneth Elzinga. Anybody? Okay, a couple of people know him. He's very famous, you can look him up. He has his own Wikipedia page, so he's gotta be the real deal. Like, okay, so it's not just my opinion. I remember that class, okay, Econ 201, and I remember it very, very clearly. One thing that we learned in there, okay, there's something called game theory. Don't worry about what it means in case you don't know what it is, but those who know. Game theory is basically a way to try to predict people's behavior, kind of like a behavioral science, okay, but more in the economic realm. So try to predict when this, people will behave this way. I find that stuff fascinating. I've always thought it intriguing, like how, how people make decisions and, and how the world works that way. One of the things that we learned in Econ 201, Remember this one, if some of you would remember it, is the prisoner's dilemma. You guys remember the prisoner's dilemma? Okay, some of you have heard of this before. The prisoner's dilemma is basically a matrix, all right, which basically says this. You have two thieves who committed a crime. We'll call them prisoner A and prisoner B. And they committed a crime, and they are, but they, they weren't caught, but the police are suspicious. So they're suspects in this crime when they really did it, and they've been brought in for questioning. They're immediately separated and kept apart from one another. So the police are now going to question prisoner A and they're going to question prisoner B. And the way it works, each of them has two options. They can stay silent and say nothing or they can confess and say, yes, we did this. And particularly name themselves and name the other person. Those are the two options. The prisoner A will by himself and he can either stay silent or confess. Prisoner B can stay silent or confess. And they are told... This will be the outcome of your decision. And these are the four options. If prisoner A stays silent and prisoner B stays silent, they will each go to jail for one year. They can't prove that they did anything wrong, but they'll catch them on some kind of loophole or something like that. They'll each go to prison for a year. If they both confess and, and prisoner A says, yeah, he did it. And then B says, yeah, he did it. They'll both go for the maximum five years in prison. Now, where it gets tricky is if A says nothing and says, I don't know anything about anything, and B says he did it, B gets off scot-free and A goes to prison for 10 years. See how it works? That's the upper right corner. So if A is silent, I don't know what you're talking about, and B says, yeah, he did it, A goes to jail for 10 years, B goes to jail for zero years. See how that works? And then the inverse. Okay, if A confesses and B is silent. Does everyone understand the matrix? So what is, you look at this and logic says the best possible outcome here is the one, one. Like that's what makes the most sense. But do you know what more than, overwhelmingly, more than the majority, overwhelmingly, you know which one is chosen? Which will be the final outcome almost every time? Almost every time. Why? Now, I know someone said it's good because there was the word confess, but this is not in a confess in a spiritual sense. This is more better word might be snitch. 
okay? Might be snitch and ride out your friend. And you say, wait a minute. I'm telling you, every single time, what's going to happen is 5-5. Five, five. Every single time. Why? You say, if these guys could just get together, go for the 1-1, one, one, man. Like, just, just, just do what's best for, for each other, and then you'll each go out in one year. That's the best overall. But economics, games theory, it'll always be 5-5. Five, five. You know why? Because no matter, let's take it from A's perspective, no matter what B does in his session, A will always be better off snitching. If B stays silent and A snitches, he walks away scot-free. If A stays silent, he gets a year. What's better, zero or one? And vice versa. If B stays, if B confesses, A will always be better, regardless of what B does. A will always be better in that bottom category because either he's going for zero or five. And B, the same thing's true. Does everyone see how that works? What this theory says is that people will always act in their own self-interest. No matter what the other prisoner does, I'm in a better shape if I snitch on him because I can't risk him snitching on me. And if he doesn't snitch on me, then you know what? I go out scot-free. Now, this isn't to say that people cannot act selflessly because, of course, you can act however you want. You can make whatever decision you want. But the point here is that by our nature, we are self-focused. We are self-centered. And I got news for you. All of life, both within and without, encourages self-centeredness. How's that for an uplifting day at the, at the well? Welcome to Friends and Family Day. You've just been told that you're a miserable person and you're going to be selfish for the rest of your life. Realize this. This is only part one of this series. All right, so we're, going to go, we're, going to, we're not just going to stay here, but the goal of today was really to identify the problem because if you don't identify the problem, you can never solve the problem. And if you think the problem is, you know what? Like I'm all for, like I said, the outer changes. Those are great. I need to be nicer to my wife. You know, I need to pray in the morning. I need to not lose my temper. I need to control my anxiety. Those are great. But what I'm saying is the problem may be deeper than that. The problem may be that deep inside, the center of your life is wrong. And if the center of your life is you, it's never gonna make any sense. And just so you know, when I say the center of your life, I know what some of you are thinking. The good people in the room are thinking, yeah, those other people, those non-church people, they don't have God at the center. Like I do, I'm in church. I have God at the center. Well, here, I'm gonna tell you something here, church people. This applies to church people and non-church. You can be a church person and not have God at the center of your life. You can be a good boy or a good girl and God may not be at the center of your life. So don't, don't look at it that way. And I'm gonna show you a parable. And we're gonna look at one of the most famous parables in, in the New Testament, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. Basically, it's a simple parable. It's about a man with two sons. And one son was good and one son was bad. But you know what? Both were selfish and both were self-focused. Because in the beginning of the story, what you'll notice is the younger son was out of the house and the older one was in. And at the end of the story, the younger one was in and the older one is out. And we're gonna look at a couple of verses from it. And I want you, you can see very clearly, what was the cause of leaving the house? For the younger, okay, and then returning, and then vice versa. What was the cause of the older one being on the outside of the house? You're going to see it's self-centeredness. Let's start with the younger one. The younger one said to his father, Luke 15, 12, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. This is the language of self-centeredness. 
give me. Give me money. Give me fame. Give me promotion. Give me relationship. Give me, give me, give me. Maybe worldly, maybe not worldly, but it's a give me focused attitude or mindset. The older brother, you say he was the good boy. The good boy was no different. He just says the same thing, but in a kind of a, 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 a looking backwards kind of a way. Luke 15, 29. Lo, these many years, I've been serving, I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, meaning I'm the good boy. I go to church. I read my Bible. I do all the good stuff. Yet you never gave me. You never gave me a young goat that I make marry with my friends. And sometimes we're honest, this is us. I go to church all these years. God, I serve you faithfully, but you never gave me the relationship that I've been asking for and needing all these years. You never gave it to me. You never gave me that position that I need. You never gave me respect. You never gave me a happy home. You never gave me peace in my mind, in my heart. You never gave me. My question to these sons, who's the sun and who's the earth? Who's here to serve who? Whose purpose? You to serve father or father to serve yours? The inverse of this is a passage from Revelation chapter four, which I love, not just the words, we'll see it in a second, the words are beautiful, but I want you to see the picture. The book of Revelation is written in a very um, illustrative way so that you can, with your mind, you can visualize it. So I want you to visualize this picture and see the difference between these two boys and the prodigal son story and this picture in Revelation chapter four, verse nine through 11. It says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. So the first picture we see is there's a throne in the center and stuff is revolving around it and people are revolving around it. That the center isn't the people and the God is around it. The center is God on the throne and the people all around the throne, all around the throne. And look at the, the way it, the, 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 the image is. Okay, verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. I love the picture. Christ on the throne, everyone else around. Is this the way your life is? If I opened up your heart on the inside, and I'm not telling you the answer. I don't know the answer, but I'm saying you gotta wrestle with it. If I opened up your heart on the inside, would I see Christ on the throne and you casting your crown and bowing and offering him honor and glory? Or would I see the exact opposite? Would I see it that you, me, I sit on the throne. God, bow before me. God, serve me. God, this is what I want. This is what I need. 2020, the year of this. Get on this. Don't delay this. Who's on the throne and who is around the throne? I know it sounds like a negative. I know it sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the, the, the thunder today, but that's not my intention by any means. My intention today is not to say you're bad. My intention, to say, my intention today is to say we all got a problem on the inside and until we properly diagnose it, we'll never solve it. Let me give you the punchline for the rest of this series, okay? And then we're gonna break it down over the coming weeks in a much more practical way. The punchline is this, because selfishness is at the root of all of our problems. Selflessness is the solution. In other words, <clears throat> the solution is not to get rid of selfishness. You cannot remove the negative. What we're gonna do is we're gonna fight with the positive. I cannot remove the dark, but I can light a lamp. 
I cannot remove the disease, but what I can do is medicate the disease. And the same way, the goal here is not to say, I'm never gonna be a self-centered person. I'm telling you, human nature, whether it's economics, whether it's Garden of Eden, whether it's prodigal son, human nature is self-centered. We are always going to be think naturally, think about ourselves. All of life around us is pushing us to think about ourselves. But what we are gonna do, we're gonna be intentional. We're gonna go against it. And we're gonna put in the antidote to selfishness. The antidote to self-centeredness is God-centeredness. The antidote to selfishness is selflessness. And what we're gonna do, starting next week, we're gonna talk about some practical ways that we can practice selflessness, that we can practice coming to serve, not coming to be served. And we trust that when we do that, fight on the positive front, we'll see some effectiveness from our fight. When I was young, many years back, when I was young, I remember I had some kind of a, a rash or something appear on my arm. I don't remember what it was. I was young at the time. I had some kind of rash, okay, and it was all over this, and it was like itchy. So my mom went out and bought me this cream, okay, just whatever kind of generic cream it was to put on there and make the rash, okay, not itch as much. So I put that thing on there, okay, and it felt better for a little bit, but it, the rash kind of came back. Like it, it's just, it just until the thing wore away, and it was just kind of, you know, putting a Band-Aid on it, and then, but it didn't really do anything. Then I remember we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know, you have some kind of infection, you know, whatever, you know, viral infection, bacteria infection, I don't know what kind of infection. I was, you know, probably eight or nine years old at the time. You have an infection. So he said, you got to take this medicine. He said, you got to take this medicine to clear the infection. I remember, I remember being very confused. Like, I didn't get it. Like, doc, I got a problem on my hand. You tell me to put a pill on my stomach? No, no, no. Put the pill on the hand. Like, I had a problem here. How is a pill here going to solve a rash here? Like, come on, doc. Like, where'd you go to school? What I didn't understand at the time that hopefully the doctors in the room get, hopefully get, okay, is that you got to go to the root. Because the rash was just the surface. The rash is just the thing on the outside. But until you go inside and get the source of the infection, hey, you're just treating the symptoms. Jesus tells us the same thing. Your problems may be outer, but the root of them is inner. And that's why you got to first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, not the outside. You got to start inside. The goal, again, not just be nicer, not just be kinder, but take a look inside, see who's sitting on the throne. Who's the center of your life? Who's serving who? And if you look, this is the life that Jesus showed us. This is the life that Jesus came to model for us. A life where he said, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of my father who's in heaven. And I gladly lay down my life. Nobody takes my life from me. I don't know if he said it that way, but that's the way I would have said it. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay down my life willingly. Nobody takes it from me because the son of man didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And it's all for their sakes. I'm telling you, if you're trying to change your outside behavior, but you're not willing to look deeper, you can do that all day and all. You make all the resolutions you want. All you're doing is rubbing cream on a rash that comes from an infection. That's all you're doing. Come up with all the resolutions you want. Say all the prayers that you want. Read all the Bible passages you want. Read all the books. Do everything that you want to do. You're not willing to go to the center and say, is my life self-centered or God-centered? Rub all that cream all you want. Never rash going to go away. Only going to get worse. You're going to be confused. And how come? And it's false advertising. And get a bigger cream. Put more cream. And get like the organic cream or whatever it may be cream. But in the end, problem goes much deeper. The good news in this series, the good news, we end with the good news. 
We're not going to sit here and talk about how bad we are week after week. That was just kind of today to set the, to set the table for us. Starting next week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to live that selfless life. We're going to get real practical. We're going to talk about giving. We're talking about serving. We're talking about those little things, being faithful in those little things. We're talking about how all those things together, those are means by which we can practice a Christ-like selflessness, a God-centeredness. Put God on that throne. Now, what I'm really excited about in this series is the last week of the series. Make sure you don't miss it. Don't miss any of the parts of the series, but make sure you don't miss the last week. We're going to have a special, special, special presentation. We're going to talk about a special opportunity that's coming up here for us as a church to really do something big in our community right here. I'll make you wait to the last week to talk about it. But that's what would be our way of practicing this selflessness that we're going to be talking about for these coming weeks. Because the only way, the only way, according to Jesus, to get life right, the only way to get it right, the only way for the calculations to add up, for everything to work the way it's supposed to work, is when I take this life and I give it away to the one who created it. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Welcome to the new year. Goal of this year, new year, bless me. New year, more him, all him. And me, just come as a servant. We're not made to be self-sufficient. We are not made to be like the sun. We're the moon at best. We are not made to be individuals who are self-sufficient and complete on our own. We are made to reflect the goodness and the glory of the one who created us. We revolve around him, not him around us. And if you can get this thing examined and you can address this situation, I guarantee you, I don't know what's gonna happen to you at work, I don't know what's gonna happen to your family, but I guarantee you, you get this self-centered, God-centered thing right, you will look back on 2020 and it will be a success because God is sitting at the throne, not you. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder that you gave us today, Lord, that we all really needed. Every now and then, Lord, we need a kick in the pants to remind us that we're not the center. We're not the ones who the world revolves around. It's not about my plans or my desires or my wishes. Lord, we're here to serve you. You came to serve, Lord, not to be served. And how dare we think that we're any better? So, Lord, during this series, we really pray that you'd help us all to examine our hearts, to know the true state of our hearts, no more fool ourselves. We can't fool you, Lord, and we can't really fool ourselves either. Help us know the true state of our hearts and come to a place, Lord, where you sit on that throne, high and lifted up where you belong, and we around you as your servants where we belong. Pray this in the mighty name of your Son, prayers of all your saints. Here it says, we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining.